You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Old Man and the Gun. Uh, Excuse me, I'd like to open up an account. Well, great. What type of account do you have in mind? This kind. This kind. Hey, excuse me. Need some help? No, I'm good. Let me take a look. You know anything about cars? Uh, no, not really. So what about you? What did you say you do? Well, that's a secret. (laughs) And why is that? When there's only one thing I can do. He's been his whole life locked up, except for the times that he broke out. He broke out of San Quentin in a boat. 16 successful escapes. You know, somebody should have told him to quit while he was in. Well, you find something you love. It's big. Real big. But I want to know how much they got in that truck. Do you think we can pull it off? Yeah, I think we can probably do it. Probably. We're going to be 67 years old. I'm going to start thinking about my future. So how do the same three guys get away with all that? Well, they haven't gotten away with it. They just haven't been caught yet. Step on it. Now there is just one way. Stretch out my arms and cry to that just one day. Old guy with a gun has just got him a funny story. You think you can catch him? I won't lie. I'd love to slap the cuffs on him myself. So I hope I get the chance. If I ever wonder what I'm doing or where I'm going, I just think of myself as that little kid I was. Now, would he have been proud of me? So is he proud of you, that little boy? Oh, he's getting closer every day. All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for The Old Man and the Gun. The story is as follows. At the age of 70, Forrest Tucker makes an audacious escape from San Quentin, conducting an unprecedented string of heists that confounded authorities and enchant the public. Wrapped up in the pursuit are Detective John Hunt, who becomes captivated with Forrest's commitment to his craft and a woman who loves him in spite of his chosen profession. The film is starring Robert Redford, Casey Affleck, Danny Glover, Tinker Sumter, Tom Waits, and Sissy Spacek. It is written and directed by David Lowry. Joining me for this review, I have Beatrice Loiza. Hello. And Tom O'Brien. Hey, everybody. All right. So, Old Man and the Gun. This is the last film from, uh, what? I'm sorry, latest film from uh, <laughs> legendary actor Robert Redford, who, I, I don't know, like, what went wrong here? It's like, it's his last film. Now he's saying it's not his last film, and he's, like, backtracking <laughs> on it. It's kind of kind of unusual, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. The Because uh, uh, it had an angle. This is the last time you'll see Robert Redford in a movie, and now not so much. Right, and you know this is, I think, a very fitting and loving tribute to the kind of actor that Robert Redford is, the mystique that he has built up with his on-screen persona through the years. And I'm just curious if it was like one of those things where, you know, I'm sure he's proud of the movie. But the way audiences reacted to it maybe just wasn't the response that he wanted. Uh, I'm not entirely sure because I think it's a very fine movie if it was going to be his last film to go out on. It's not Oscar-worthy, dramatic, greatest-of-all-time status, but I think it hits all the right notes. Yeah, I don't know. For me, it just it felt too in the service of paying tribute to Redford and 
particularly these movies of a bygone era that he's so known for. Um, and on the one hand, I don't know, Redford is as charming and handsome as ever. Not bad for an 82-year-old man, huh? Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> he has a full head of hair. <laughs> and it's not gray or white. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, I don't know. It's very cool to relive what made him a superstar. But I also think that Redford is an amazing actor. And, and here, he's pretty much just playing himself. So I found that, I don't know, the old man and the gun offered him kind of an undemanding role. Mm. Interesting. Tom, what did you ultimately think of The Old Man and the Gun? Um, it's a charming bank robbery movie, of all things. Um, but it is, is much more charming than it is a bank robbery movie. Um, it, he is – Redford's always had in his best performances a twinkle in his eye. Like he's he knows he's Robert Redford and he's kind of in on the joke. And I do think that he – uh, uh, utilizes uh, a bit of it here. It's just that I found I found the narrative to be a little bit underwhelming. It, it, I stayed with it, and and it's a David Lowry movie, and so there's that '70s vibe that he comes up with. But it and and it does certainly reference a lot of Redford's earlier films in a very clever way. Uh, I think audiences will enjoy it, but it came across to me as a nice night out at the movies more than an Oscar player. Yeah, no, definitely that's true. But I, I don't know. Maybe it was just because the wave of the day when I saw this, I saw this on Thursday and just the way things have been playing out in the news, especially I really enjoyed, like you said, Tom, my experience watching this movie because it was light. It wasn't heavy. And it entertained me throughout. Um, one thing I do want to point out, though, is that it, it definitely is not, in my opinion, a bank robbery movie, actually. Um, it doesn't have the same thrills uh, that you would get from a bank heist film of, of that sort. Instead, what I feel like this is just more about is I do feel like it's a morality tale about a man who um, is really, really good at something, can't seem to quite let it go, but it brings him immense joy. And it's so funny because... You know, he's definitely on the older side, and there's talk between him and Sissy Spacek about, you know, what are you going to do, like, one day when, you know, you get to the end of your life, and, you know, are you going to have regret, or are you going to be filled with regret, or anything like that, and here is a guy who, you know, like you, like I was saying, in a he more heavy-handed drama, maybe there would be talk about that, maybe he would be sad and depressed or something along those lines, but this is a guy who always has a smile on his face, because he's doing the thing that he loves to do, and just so happens what he loves to do is he loves robbing banks. <laughs> That's true. Uh, it, it's funny, though. I mean, in, in let's say if this was a bank robbery movie, you'd probably be focused more on the Casey Affleck chase yeah. of Robert Redford's character. And the takeaway that I took from it, at least, it's it's more of a movie star movie in in the sense of watching Sissy Spacek, a legend from the 70s and 80s, and Robert Redford, same, just sitting and talking at a diner. And I was yeah. riveted through the, for all of that. Uh, it, it's certainly their skill. I think Lowry's really good. Uh, it, it's You see every line on each of those actors' faces. And you know that it's been earned because we've been there with them all every step of the way. And uh, just watching them just converse 
it, it, it was hanging on. I was hanging on every word. And it was uh, really, I would recommend the film just for those scenes. Well, there's a funny line of dialogue where um, she says to him at one point, you better hurry up uh, in regards to him getting a start on some things he wants to do with his life. And his reply is, how come? <laughs> so he's someone who doesn't like, you know, he doesn't like accept the fact that he's aging essentially at all he does not live in that world uh and he doesn't face that reality and i find that interesting too for the movie because the movie never really kicks it into another gear um in terms of how thrilling a heist movie could potentially be like you said and so you know when, when she says to him you better hurry up and he just says how come it's like yeah how come? Well, why does this have to be that kind of a movie? No, it can be a more slower-paced, more contemplative, breezy, light affair. And I think that's exactly what David Lowry was going for with the tone of this film. And yet at the same time, even though it is light and breezy and, you know, definitely uh, a little bit le- you know, slower-paced than what you would normally expect from a movie of this sort – I never once was bored while watching it. In fact, I thought I, I was thoroughly entertained throughout, but in that not laugh-out-loud riot sort of way, but, I mean, I giggled and chuckled a lot throughout this. There's a sense of recognition in a lot of the lines and a lot of the situations that both all of the characters are in uh, that I think was very identifiable, and I, I chuckled as well. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a charming movie. It was hard not to smile throughout it. Um, to to go back briefly to, to what Tom was saying about how Casey Affleck could have just been more of a cop, more of a detective. Instead, I I found him, he was set up to be sort of a lackluster younger man whose confidence about his work is draining. And it's a contrast against Robert Redford, who's a super virile bank robber, who's at both times happier and more youthful than him. He's like toying with him, essentially, really. Yeah. (laughs) And, And his hubris does get the better of him. Right. Yeah. You know, I have to say, of, of all the elements in this movie that I would find weak, um, it is the supporting characters themselves who I think suffer the most in this. Casey Affleck being one of them. I, I, I did find that he was sleepwalking through oh. a role like this. I, I didn't see any real amount of effort from him. And whether that was because he just doesn't want to upstage Robert Redford in this movie. I, I think back to someone like Jake Gyllenhaal in Prisoners and how on the page... Yeah. That is a detective role that could read very bland, but he added nuances to that performance that made that character so much more interesting. And I thought we could have gotten that here with Casey Affleck. I mean, he is a very gifted actor, and there are some dynamics between him, his wife, and his kids that, you know, lended some opportunity there. But I just feel like as an actor, he never reached out and grabbed it. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. It's a very low-key performance in the service of making him seem sleepy and shut out in comparison to Redford, but it just kind of felt lazy towards the end. And also, I don't know, I feel like they set him up to be more important. Um, But then I feel like there was no closure to his character either. No, there definitely wasn't. I mean, the movie spends a lot of time on him and you're absolutely right in that we don't get that. We do get moments of uh, Robert Redford and the Over the Hill gang, which also consists of Danny Glover and Tom Waits, two other actors in this movie that I wanted more of, honestly. And I felt like we didn't get enough. 
um, we see a lot of moments of them outsmarting Casey Affleck, and that's where you know you get the fun aspect out of uh, watching a, a film like this of a um, of a cop chasing down a, a group of uh, robbers. But it kind of just makes Casey Affleck look incompetent and bad at his job, and he's supposed to be the good family man, law enforcement official who is supposed to be catching the bad guy. And I had absolutely no reason to want to root for this guy other than the fact that he's a good family. Not a good looking family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> when we first meet him, um, he's rumpled and I, uh, you know, it's like he slept in his clothes the night before. Uh, so I thought to myself, okay, they're doing a young version of Columbo. That's interesting, mm. but it, it never works quite works out that way. Uh, the family stuff is very nice. I love the line when his daughter, uh, talks about, uh, his admiration, it talks about her, her father's admiration for the Robert Redford character. And at one point, um, his daughter says, if you caught him, you wouldn't get to chase him anymore. Now that's the movie I would like to see. Yeah. Uh, the, the banter between him and the kids I, I thought was really insightful. And what I found uh, interesting about that aspect, I'm so glad you brought that up, Tom, was that the wisdom in this movie comes from two ends of the spectrum in terms of age. It comes from the youngest people in the movie, and it also comes from the oldest people in the movie. And everyone else that's caught in between, mainly the Casey Affleck character, they're, they're just thinking about it in too complex a level. And just to understand how these people, how Forrest Tucker operates, how the world works. It's like they're too wrapped up in so many elements of life that Forrest Tucker lets go of that. He's able to live life where a child isn't even thinking about their stuff and they're living life to the fullest as well. Mm. Before we uh, leave Casey Affleck, uh, I just wanted to let everybody know that he rocks a severely good porn stash in this. <laughs> Definitely true. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that, but yes, you are right. <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, there were also a couple other people that popped up in this movie as well. Um, I wasn't expecting to see Elizabeth Moss in this. Oh, yeah, me either. Like, huh? John David Washington, too. Yep. Yeah. Who else Who else popped up in this at one point? Um, the the, the counter-clerk guy from No Country for All Men. Oh, my God, what the heck is his name? Oh. Gene Jones, that's his name. He plays uh, one of the bank managers at one point. Yes, he does. Yeah, he popped up. Who else popped up? And is Keith Carradine popped up at one point? He, I didn't see him, but I did see him credited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you could just tell, like, it's like a bunch of people that just want to work with David Lowry. The guy has built up such a credible resume. And yeah. I don't think he's made a bad film yet. Maybe not like an all-time great well, actually, no, I, I can make a case probably for a ghost story. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. you know, he hasn't made any stinkers yet. So I, I could see uh, a world where everybody wants to work with him. Yeah. And, I mean, Pete's Dragon is so much better than it had any right to be. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. That is definitely. very true. And um, so I, I saw The Old Man and the Gun at TIFF, and it actually was the last movie I saw there of 17, uh, which might explain my sort of underwhelming reaction to it. But um, afterwards, there was a Q&A with David Lowry, and he said that Robert Redford had approached him specifically uh, with this material because he had seen Ain't Them Body Saints, which yeah. makes sense because that film is so much 
an homage to like new Hollywood movies like Bonnie and Clyde, Butch Cassidy, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so, and he, he explained that he of course was not going to, like, he wasn't going to say no. He didn't care what the material was. It was an opportunity to work with Robert Redford. (laughs) I agree with that for sure. I want to talk, I want to focus a little bit on Lowry and what he does bring to this. Um, As I uh, mentioned before, I definitely think that there is a command over the pacing of this film, the tone of this film. And even though it may not be everyone's cup of tea, um, just the overall style of this movie it really does harken back to that era of that 70s era of filmmaking in so many ways from the the titles that he uses on the screen to just the overall look of the film uh the music cues i mean it's not like we were saying before it's not oscar caliber work but it is the kind of work that is respectful in its homage and at the same time also very playful in regards to that as well it's it's a very upbeat film. Um, <clears throat> I can see it really work, you know, uh, uh, really pleasing the movie going audience, the people who love, let's say, the the cineasts who love um, uh, David Lowry, and you know the older folks who love Robert Redford and is going to go on those Sunday matinees to see it and walk away with a smile on their face. Now, what was um. Oh, man, because I know they borrowed uh, clips from his other movies in here as well. Um, did anyone uh, know which clips they used uh, of Robert Redford when he was younger? Did they splice into the movie? Oh, one God. Them, one of them was The Chase. Yes. I do remember Definitely. that. I, I, I think they took stills from other films and turned them into mugshots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that, that I definitely noticed. You're right. That was a lovely moment. Oh, I think my favorite sequence in the whole movie might be actually the the montage of the 16 prison breakouts. <laughs> it's really good. It's very well done. Now, outside of the uh, supporting characters, the other thing I just had a little bit of a problem with is there is a sequence in the third act, and it involves a title card uh, that says, and he did. Everyone know what I'm talking Ooh, about? Cheesy. Well, no, no, no. Not that moment specifically. It's in the fallout of that moment where there is a passage of time, but we are never, ever told how much time the actors don't really wear it on their faces. There's no makeup change. Uh, there really isn't anything that signifies how long uh, that, that passage of time has been. And I kind of was hoping for more of that to work its way into the themes and the dialogue of the movie, you know, the passage of time. But it didn't. And I thought that was a missed opportunity in the third act to really kind of give this movie a emotional impact that I felt was needed. Yeah, I'd agree. It kind of felt inconsequential because of the fact that there was no cue to show just how much time he was put away kind of made it feel like it wasn't very long. And we were just jumping back into to the main narrative. Yeah, there, there was a, hey, what, huh? A moment for me at that point is like, oh, and it took me out of the movie. Yeah, yeah, it did for me as well. And up to that point, I thought the story was actually kind of unpredictable because you don't know if this guy is going to meet his end at the fate of gunfire from the cops. You don't know if he's going to meet his end at the fate of time itself. You don't really know exactly where this movie is going. Um, You don't know if it's going to actually be by his own accord on his own terms even. So, yeah, I was uh, I was definitely a little taken aback when, like that, like I said, that opportunity presented itself, and I just felt like once again, kind of like KCF, like I just felt like it just didn't reach out and take it. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it, 
Boy, it, it just seemed to have worked up to a point that it could have a great ending. And it's like, oh, no, I think you just missed it. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't want Bonnie and Clyde, you know, style no, machine no, gun fire. That, <laughs> no, that would have been, been yeah. jarring. <laughs> but I, I was hoping for something, uh, some, yeah. something a little bit more graceful. But instead, what we got was we got a wink and we got a smile and we got the charming Robert Redford, you know, and. Like we were saying before, it's nice. It's it's nice. It just wasn't exactly what I would have needed to give this film higher marks. Yeah, for for me at least, the dramatic climax was uh, some time before when Redford and Affleck meet in the men's room. Oh yeah, that is a great moment. And can I just can I say also too before you go look a little bit further, I remember earlier on in the movie there's a drifting camera shot yeah and i had no idea what was going on and i and i thought to myself after the camera uh shot had cut away i was like was i supposed to be looking for something in the frame like (laughs) i i I was freaking out about it so when later on when that moment does have its payoff i was like oh lowry you sly son of a bitch you (laughs) you got me again Uh, but anyway, yeah, please continue. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it, it's true. I mean, it's what you've been waiting for because it's, uh, Affleck and Redford are kind of in two different movies. And when they come together at that moment, um, I think Affleck couldn't, couldn't actually, his character couldn't actually believe the nerve that Redford's character would actually approach him. And so I'm like, okay, you know, I'm here. You want me or... You know, see if you have the stuff to be able to arrest me. If not, I'm going on my way. Yeah. Right. I think that's also the moment in the movie where you realize he's just doing this for fun. He's just a feisty son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't care. (laughs) Now, um, Tom, you had mentioned uh, the chase a little bit ago, and we talked about how there are a lot of nods and homages to Robert Redford's earlier work. Um, I'll name one that's stood out to me a film i saw way back in the 90s when i probably shouldn't have i think i saw it oh no it wasn't the 90s i saw it like in the early 2000s whatever it's a film from the 90s the horse whisperer yes and how there are many uh many shots of horses talk about horses and robert redford riding a horse and so on and so forth and i was just curious to know if there were any others in this movie that you all wanted to signal out at all not not that i had seen i my takeaway was basically it's so nice to see him on a horse again yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it it seems Lowry seems to have touched on all of the uh, moments that we so associate with Robert Redford, and uh, that's what makes the homage part of this very satisfying. I think that the same also the same thing also goes for Sissy Spacek because if we think of who she was when she broke out into Hollywood, she was sort of a girl next door, a country girl next door with red hair. She actually does own horses. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought it was also sort of an homage to, to both of their careers in a way. Well, I, I hope not, only because I, I, I do feel like Sissy Spacek does get kind of the short shrift in, in many many regards here. Um, well, I mean, she's going to continue working at least. Robert yeah, Redford, who knows? <laughs> he, he may say, never say never, and you know he might do another role after this, but... I think for all intents and purposes, I really do think he is done. 
but he just doesn't want to definitively say that. And who who really would want to? Yeah, yeah. You know, are you really going to turn down an opportunity if that great script does come along with that opportunity to work with that great director? Right. Yeah, I understand why he's kind of keeping the door open a little bit. Um, as I mentioned the the podcast last week, I, you know, I wish you would do a movie with Daniel Day Lewis. Both get out of retirement, uh, but he's um, his uh, SpaceX is really the um, gem of this movie in many ways. In that she she really likes this guy, and but you can see when she's with him, these are two legends of movies. Yes, yeah, uh, for for years and years and. She has so much to give. She's not, she's probably, she's, I think, 14 years younger than Redford. And she just, she still has it. Well, Redford does too, but um, I just, I hope this is not the end for her because she is fabulous in this. And if the, uh, if the movie was a little stronger, we could be talking about her in the Oscar race, but I don't think it's going to happen. Agreed. Yeah. Well, speaking of the Oscar race, let's uh, transition over to final thoughts. Great out of 10, an Oscar potential. Uh, Beatrice, why don't we start with you? If you have any other final thoughts, um, otherwise, great out of 10, and what Oscar potential you see for the old man and the gun? Um, well, so I was a little overwhelmed, underwhelmed with the old man and the gun. David Lowry is a director whose work I really loved, especially his last two films, A Ghost Story and Ain't That Body Saints. Um, this movie might have fewer flaws. It's pretty well executed with a few loose strands. Um, but for me, there was no like, oh my God moment. So that being said, I'd personally give it a seven out of 10. Um, as for its Oscar potential, potentially best actor for Redford, um, if he's still in the conversation and if people are really pushing for him, and if he announces that maybe he is retiring, <laughs> that could definitely help. Um, but that's about it for me. I was gonna say, I think I think the actor uh, talk has died down considerably uh, since he now has started to backtrack. More people are seeing the film, and they're seeing it's not like a dramatic heavyweight mm. type of performance. Um, if they really wanted to, they could, but. I don't know. It's always such a packed category. I, I I can't see it happening for this. You know, if you, if you wanted to make an argument to me back when he had all his lost, I would have said, oh, yeah, that could that could actually happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah no. I'm compelled to agree. But with this, I'm seeing maybe Golden Globe nomination. And that is right. that is kind of it at that point, as far as I'm concerned. Wah, wah. I know, right? <laughs> it's true, yeah. I mean, and, and that he, then he'd be competing in the drama category, which is a, a very well, stacked. Well, I'd give it to musical comedy. <laughs> yeah, right. Like they could, they could fudge it. Comedy? I don't know. I, I, I listen. I laughed a lot throughout this I movie. Was, yeah. Say. <laughs> They could justify. I mean, if they put get out in comedy, then then they could. <laughs> he, he gave Matt Damon the the Golden Globe for comedy musical for The Martian. They, they'll do anything. Uh, <laughs> Just to get a movie star there. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. And then he could win, theoretically. Well, no, he's not going to beat Bradley Cooper, I guess. But well, either way, <laughs> not against Bradley Cooper or whoever's going to be up against him. Yeah. Well. Anyway, Tom, where do you fall in all of this? Oof. Um, <laughs> 
I, I, it's Oscar chances. I would, I think Redford is a long shot. I would probably say he's probably about ninth or 10th uh, on the list. And I'm just not sure they're going to be, have to go down that low. Uh, Spacek, God, I wish she was, she was more in the conversation, but she's not. And so we kind of, kind of live with, we just enjoy the performances. Uh, for me, at least I would give it, uh, probably a six. Uh, there's only because there's some wasted or missed opportunities, Matt, as you had said, uh, if you have Danny Glover and Tom Waits in a movie and you waste them, that's oh you know geez, they're they could have been that well that could have been another movie. What was that one scene where he's talking about how or why he hates Christmas? Yes, that got the biggest <laughs> laugh in the whole movie, and it's like I oh, I want I wanted more of that. <laughs> yes, that, no, no, that would be a different movie, and I would love that movie. I might love that movie more than I like this movie. But uh, rating uh, six. All right, and for me, I think the old man and the gun is breezy it's light it's entertaining it's harmless and it's a lovely tribute to robert redford if he decides to go out on this then it's a proud movie to go out on even though it's not career best work or anything of that sort it's a movie that pays tribute to him in the most fitting way possible and is clearly a love letter to him and his whole career so for those reasons i i really thought david lowry did succeed in achieving that uh, the missed opportunities bit is what's going to keep it back for me from going higher in my grade as well. I, I will settle at a 7 out of 10. Um, I never felt the movie ever had any bad pacing issues or anything like that at all. And I was uh, thoroughly entertained with it. So walking out of the theater, it's not going to crack my top 20 or anything like that. But very solid movie. One that I would recommend. And uh, yeah. So Oscar potential, I'm going to just say no. Um, if I was if I was uh, doing it at, like on the on the page, I would just probably at this point say no, um, it, because earlier on in the conversation, like right before premiere to tell you right, I think we were all thinking Redford screenplay and Spacek, but once it premiered and it had kind of this underwhelming response, and whether that's due to expectations or whatever the case might be, who knows? Um, it just is what it is, and its chances at this point are pretty much zilch. That doesn't mean anything about the quality of the film itself. It is a quality film that is really, really nice, really lovely, and like I said, if it's on television or something along those lines, and it happens to be on, you want to catch it, uh, wholly recommend that you do so. So, Old Man and the Gun, I will settle on a solid 7 out of 10. With that said, Beatrice, where can they find you on the internet? Find me on Twitter at BeansproutBia. Tom? And you can find me on Twitter at, at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of The Old Man on the Gun on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, CastBox, and also on Acast. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. And as always, if you want to head over to our Patreon channel, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. We have some reviews that are coming out that are going to be just for our Patreon subscribers. Stay tuned to hear more about that on the main show. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.
Hey Hey there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.